0: Hey, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Arthur Coldwells, and this week we've got a very interesting treat in store. I got a chance to chat with an old friend of mine, um, a US moto journalist named Tom Montano. Uh, Many of you will know him from uh, his writings in Cycle News over many years and other magazines too. He's a fast guy, he's a very experienced racer, the thing that's interesting about Tom is he has had a chance to ride the Isle of Man TT. Now, and I say had a chance, he's actually done it something like, he's done it multiple times. I, I believe it's something like 14 times. Um, absolutely amazing. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how he survived it, but uh, he's, a, he's a great rider, of course, it, it, it has to be said, but he's a, he's a fun, interesting guy so for those of you who don't know anything about the isle of man tt the isle of man is a small island Um, it's self-governing based off the coast of of england it's in between england and ireland so it's in the middle of the irish sea because it is self-governing they've had a public roads race um, around the public roads these little twisty and some very fast roads but around the roads of the isle of man And this thing started in the early 1900s, so it's well over 100 years old now, this race. Sadly, people do die doing it because they're racing at insanely high speeds. The superbikes are hitting 200 miles an hour on public roads. Um, They're going through little towns and villages and over bumps, and the roads are not specially paved or treated in any way. It's just it is what it is, and you're out there riding it as hard and as fast as you can one lap is something like 37 miles and over 200 corners. There are multiple class races as with any type of motorcycle racing. You get your 600 supersport races, there are superbikes and there's a thing called the Senior TT as well. But for instance a one race of the Superbike or the Senior TT in fact I think all of the races, one race is six laps which is well over 200 miles about three tankfuls of gas um, and two pit stops, incidentally. Uh, so it's about over 200 miles and something like 1,200 corners these guys are taking. So this is crazy, crazy stuff. If you look up Alaman TT on YouTube, you'll see a million onboard videos. And if it's the first time you see it, you will pretty much assume it's a video game and that it's been speeded up. It has not. These guys are crazy. Anyway, they're also fascinating people. And we got a chance to chat to Tom Montano about his experiences on the Isle of Man. I hope you enjoy it. So, yeah, so you've, so you've ridden the Isle of Man TT how many times?
1: Um, I'd probably say 14, I think. 14 times. Dude, how are you still alive? I don't know. <laughs> I'm blessed but uh the first time was in uh 1992 okay and, um, there was a guy chris crew who was a, a san francisco um he uh, motorcycle racer you know the afm right up here in northern california and uh actually he, they had a, a a courier service motorcycle courier service back when people had to you know run papers
0: around and, and
1: various official
0: yeah, things. I used, that, I used to do that in London in the 70s. Oh,
1: see, then you know all about. So these guys, we had Lightning Express is what it was called. Okay. And anyway, and they would do the Sunday morning ride and they, and they you know, started the Cabo 1000, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, which is uh, basically a, uh-uh. a race from, you know, I think like Tijuana all the way down to Cabo, you know, a thousand miles. It, it wasn't official, but these guys did it and they did it every year. Like a sort of like, like a kind of cannonball run kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Type thing. So, so anyway, he went to the Isle of Man. I think he went once and he rode a pageant's bike and, uh, and then one of the guys who uh, helped him um, said to me, Hey, you want to go do that? And, you know, I mean, we always heard about it and stuff. but didn't really know
0: the full details of it. And so. uh, And you were like, and you were like, well, how hard can it be?
1: Well, I I knew how hard it could be, but I thought I'm just dumb
0: enough to do it. So why not? (laughs) (laughs) So, so the first bike you rode was a Paget Yamaha
1: No, no, we, uh, I sent, I had an FCR 600 and uh, we put it in a crate and shipped it
0: over there. Back when you can do that. Oh, okay. So it was like entirely self-funded then it wasn't, you turned up. Yeah, they would give you start
1: money and, um, you know, let's say if you came from Europe, you know, Germany, France, whatever, to give you X amount. If you came from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, because there's always guys come from there that give you Japan. Wherever you came from, the promoters would um, give you a certain amount of start money. So that, so from the U.S., you know, you'd probably get fifteen hundred bucks or something or maybe a little more, depending. Who knows how much, you know, which would, you know, then it would cost. You could you could put your bike in a crate and fly it to London or, or Manchester or whatever, you know, maybe for 1500 $1, bucks return. Then you'd have to deal with getting it from there. So that over the years we figured out different ways to do it until 9 like, Then it, then it, you know they double triple the price for no apparent reason, but other than right. quote safety concerns, right?
0: Right. <laughs> but essentially, yeah. the, so the start money sort of kind of maybe covered a bit of your shipping costs or most. Yeah. Costs. I mean, sometimes,
1: well, you might get, you know, maybe I should say fifteen hundred pounds or something, which which would be you know, twenty five hundred bucks or something at the time, okay. depending. Well, you might know more than me, you know, back in 92, 93, what the exchange rate was. But
0: right. But essentially, it sort of kind of got you there and got you on the bike. And then, you know, the rest was up to you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter what, you're going to go
1: racing, you're going to spend your own money unless you're, you know, it's a great way to spend money. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Great way to (laughs) spend a lot of money.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we, you know, we sometimes, I think one time we did a benefit at at this bar, Zeitgeist in San Francisco, because another guy, Wade Boyd, who was a a motorcycle racer and, um, you know, highway one sunday morning ride cabo guy all that you know all around races he still races you know he races uh you know sidecars and finished stuff and and so he was a san francisco character in the group so i think we had a benefit and you know people could donate stuff and i mean every little bit helps
0: so what sort of preparation did you do for the the first time you went i mean you know Guy Martin told me that he watched you know the David Jeffries video every single day for a year before he even set foot on the island so did you do any kind of prep or, or did you just turn up and twist the throttle well they didn't have a Dave Jeffries video when we went all there
1: was I think there was a, a Joey Dunlop video where they had like you know a 15 pound massive camera on, on his bike or something back then and you could barely make out what was going on anyway so you know, we got there, the, the people I was with, they knew the pageants and, you know, had because they had gone there once or twice, I believe. And uh, so, you know, we get a car and drive around and,
0: uh, but. Had you had you ever seen it before or?
1: No, I mean, I think we might've seen, I think somebody might've had a video or we tried to watch the video, but you don't really know. And you, you might see pictures of it and stuff and heard about it for sure. But I mean, I, it came to be, you know, after going there for several times that we would you know i wouldn't even bother going out i would just wait for the first lap of practice and go you know but that was probably after going you know five times and we would go you know in the middle of the night and drive the mountain and be yelling you know there's a left 200 feet you know there's that in the fog and realize oh we're wrong almost drove
0: off the road and stuff like that and, <laughs> So you just kind of practiced in a car in low visibility, just to sort of see what happens.
1: Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I th- actually the first time I went, somebody lent me a RGV five hundred to go ride around on the wrong side of the road in <laughs> daytime traffic. You know, so that was a great learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it gives you some sense of the course, and then eventually, you you for me, I'd break it up into three or four sections. You know, like going over the mountain was the last section, and then the You know, the first part and then going to you you coming into Ramsey, uh, Solby Strait. I mean, there's you go on forever, all these different areas. But I mean, everybody, I'm sure, looks at it differently. But then later, when the video got better and then and then eventually the video game, which surprisingly enough is is the, the, the scenery on either side of the course, so to speak, is is not as detailed, but the bends and the curves and the straights and all that in the video game are pretty close to what's going on. Because uh, you would see, I don't know when they when that came out, maybe in the late 90s or whatever, or early 2000s. But, you know, occasionally you would see the, which now you see the Google map car, right? Right. And they When they close the roads and open the roads, they always send a car through to make sure there's nobody on the road. So they say the road's closed, they send out a guy you know, it goes bombs the whole course, make sure it's clear, then perhaps it can start. So occasionally you'd see the car with the cameras or whatever those things are on top and think, what the hell is that? Then it all came to me like a year later. Oh, that's what they were doing. Or, or you know, a couple of years later when they made the game, mapping the course. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. Like, like you see a car, you know, you probably don't see them as many now, but you see those cars back in the day when they were Google Maps was doing all their stuff, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Same thing. Yeah.
0: So, obviously, as the years progressed, what's probably, you know, the fastest bike you've ridden it on? Did you start riding super bike or any of those kind of levels? Or
1: I raced 600s. I mean, we just would bring our 600s, which um, at first, you know, I mean, I didn't really want to ride anything bigger than that. <laughs> oh, yeah, because yeah, it's pretty hairball, you know. And then you could race your 600 in the uh, super bike class or the... And the senior the senior you could race anything a 500 two-stroke full factory race bike and you, or you know the 1000 superbike and uh, and they also used to let you race a 600 if you were you know the senior basically there's a there's a group that's going to get in no matter what but also they might say hey you went you ended up going pretty fast into production race and this and that will give you a spot in senior and you might have a spot let's say 60th on the starting grid but since you Went faster earlier in the week, they might move you up to 40th or 35th or whatever, depending on that. So,
0: also, your grid position is I mean, obviously, they go off in 10 second intervals. So, that's really dependent on how fast you've either finished before or
1: uh, only in this. in the, I mean, this the senior, it's first come, first serve. And then on fast guys, you know, some guys like to go first, some guys like to, you know, chase the carrot, some guys don't care. But, you know, if you're way back and you got to pass people. If you're, you know, like in any race, you come up on lappers, and when you come up on lapper in a in a you know a very thin road going 130 miles an hour, where I've been there, you know, thinking how am I going to pass this guy, then Alan Batson comes by on a CBR 900, sixty-inch front wheel, and just, and that's how you pass the guy. <laughs> so there's that too, you know. Then, but the senior they have, let's say they have, you know, everybody enters a senior unless you're really you know but if you're on like a small bike i'm not necessarily gonna let you in unless you really hauled ass or something i don't know what the rules are now at least then you would uh the same guys who race super bike race the big bikes and all that would would be you know in the senior.
0: okay okay so that's what the senior is it's just a sort of anything goes kind of class
1: yeah it's the one class where you could race a, a motor gp bike okay but you can't race it you know and then they have they didn't use they'd didn't have uh, Superstock 1000 until when they started racing those in general. They pretty much follow FIM superbike rules, but they used to have 252 strokes and 125s, and then they had the uh, small bikes 400s, which I rode one time, which was great. You know, you could just sit there flat out on a 400, and have a <laughs> cocktail, cigarette. You know, oh, there's a turn coming up. Okay, you know, you don't even have to back out of it half the time. So, <laughs> but it, but you know, the small bikes are fun. So maybe they'll bring them back with the, the small bikes they have now.
0: Sure. You even uh, you didn't you ride an electric bike? I think in the you know a few years ago when they were still doing that.
1: Yeah, when the first electric race was 010, I believe. I think it was the the TTX and Mission Motor guys contact to me so uh they built a bike and we went and tested it a bunch did a bunch of stuff then shipped it over there right and then put you know taped a few more batteries on it to make it make it you know, last even, the whole lap even that much heavier and you know couldn't get it. i don't think they made a heavy enough spork spring or haven't yet maybe they never will who knows but but anyway yeah we rode that race that was you know a whole different uh, kind of scenario
0: so, do you have a, a sort of a favorite section of of the race or or of the course? I should say.
1: Uh, the mountains good because it's it seems the most to me like a, a proper racetrack, right? Because it's not houses and stuff. There's still curves and hillsides and cliffs to go flying off, but <laughs> and it's smooth. You know, after the Solby Straight, there's there was a really bumpy section all the way down to Ramsey. And and I remember over the years thinking, God, this is like a motocross track. And and then one time, at, you know, like five in the morning when I used to have morning practices, sitting in the right helmet tent um, when it's you know raining or foggy and you don't know if practice is going to start. Everybody's sitting there drinking tea, warming up, trying to stay cold. A guy, Colin Gable, who was a fast racer, he said to me, he says, "Oh man, you got to loosen up your suspension to get over that stuff." <laughs> you lose a little stability up on a mountain where it's like a proper road, you know, course where it's smooth, but you'll make it up. So I did that. And I, and um, I became to really, I came to really enjoy that section of the course. Cause it was, you know, bumpy, just, you know, brutal. <laughs> you think you're going to break a shock or something, you know, something crazy like that.
0: Wow. Do you get, do you get a lot of lot of air all the time? I mean, is the front wheel coming up, or are you? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a of couple Balof of. Bridge?
1: Yeah, well, balaf Bridge—that's that's an easy one. The thing there is, you don't want to go too fast, or you will break something because because it's an yeah, actual pretty steep jump. But right after Baloff Bridge, there's a you go out of the town on a right, and then there's a section I believe it's two lefts, and then there's this little rise in the road. And if you go in the center of the road, but you think I'm going to stay in the middle of the road because if I, you know, something goes haywire, I got some room on either side. The bump is biggest. So if you stay closer to the curve, it's less of a bump. But on a 600, you're flat out. And every time I went over that on whatever I rode, it was always a crapshoot. <laughs> is it going to land and I'm going to go, or is it going to go terribly wrong? And after time, flat, you get, flat,
0: flat out in what gear? Six gear. Oh, flat out in six! Holy shit! On a, on
1: a six hundred, yeah. You'd go through the, the
0: the second left,
1: you might roll a little bit, and then get on it. And uh, on a big bike, you'd you know you'd have to roll it some, but you would see guys, you know, and you'd ask people, but oh man, that you know, and they would say, oh yeah, if you stay a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, you know, the hump's not as big. At se- the, the, the center of the road is higher, right? And that's you know you don't even you wouldn't even think it's a big jump, but that's a for me. That was one of the scariest um, both wheels off the ground sections
0: of the course because you're flat out or damn close to it. So on a 600, what that like about a buck 50, buck 55 or something? Yeah, you're probably doing
1: that buck 60 or something like that,
0: yeah. Both know. wheels off the ground at a buck 60. And- yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, for those guys, that's just normal, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I mean, what if you don't stick the landing? And you know, you get some wicked head shake and you see that sometimes on the videos. I mean, oh my God.
1: Yeah, well, one time I got, there was a picture of me in, in uh, I think it was Superbike Magazine, one of the English mags, where on that particular bump or, or jump, whatever you want to call it, they said, you know, American Tom Montano got it wrong or whatever. <laughs> and I remember that thinking, I did get twisted up hard and stuff. I mean, I wrote it out, but that was one of those ones, you know, where, luckily i wrote it out but it could definitely end in tears right there you know and then it's a it's it's a long fast straightaway into the cory bends which is a section of of just real sweepers which is great you know you i would i think i would drop a gear and just leave it flat and you know but it's funny you think oh yeah just nice wide long sweepers and i would find you know fight the bike back and forth at 140 miles an hour however hell fast you're going you know ends up to be a little bit more effort which leads into the solby straight which you know the faster you start it the faster you get down it and then you got to go all the way down to like second gear or first gear for ginger hall and then start the crazy bumpy section so and then solby straight you go by there's a crossroad there and there's a pub and stuff and people are sitting right there on the you know drinking beer and stuff yelling at you as you're going by i'm probably 10 feet away from them, 15 feet away flat out on whatever you're riding and when i rode the MV, i got down pretty much past that and it starts to curve a little bit and that's when i you know had to look down at the speedometer while you're still trying to look through the windshield and the hedges and everything's getting it's tightening up tightening up and the roads curving like this and i think i saw 187 or something and i thought well that's enough for me <laughs> <laughs> so you actually now, looked at you actually looked at this bitometer oh you have to you got to know how fast you're going right <laughs> okay. and then you know, the other place that Craig and the coming out of there there's a long downhill since now they made the corner wider I forget what that corner is called it's before you get the hillberry and all that which is i nice. see now it's all coming back to me so i could sit here for hours going on oh, in that corner oh, that's my favorite and this that that's another place where the bikes hit the top speed but you know i mean that was a a, a mv1000 with uh we had the four uh exhaust little headers you know and we just had a chip in and stuff and i mean that's i mean there's you know the bikes now go 200 miles an hour i'm sure they do you know the fast ones it was something right up in there and that's as fast as i could go and that's about as fast as i wanted to go at that particular moment
0: <laughs> so are you are you aware of sort of the scenery are you aware of the spectators and when you go past it, or do you just simply not have time for that? I mean, you're going through that stuff so fast and it's so tight. When you say there are people sitting in the pubs and yelling at you as you go past, do you see any? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see them out of
1: the corner of your eye, then you know where the people are. And so, like the Corey Benz, when you come into that flat out, it's a right-hander, and right there is a, a parking lot on the outside of it, so to speak, and there's a little bit of a hill or um, so you could sit there and lay up on the hill like this with your head over and you can hear the bikes and they come by so when you're on a bike you know there's a ton of people right there and there's a lot of places in hillberry you come down there there's a big grandstand and there's this crazy you know another flat out nut job corner which dips down and you drift it all the way out by the tree and there's all people all along there so you get to know where all the people are and see them all out of the corner of your eye. And eventually, you know, once you ride it a bunch, you know, you can, you can look, and then there's, uh, the Laurel banks. There's, um, there's, you know, there's jagged rock walls, you know, on the outside of the course. And I remember one time I screwed up in there or something, you know, you know, some section like this. And I came real close to the wall and a guy leaning on the wall, looking at me, he had to go like that. Wow. (laughs) Probably just out of reaction, you know,
0: but... Presumably, after a, after a while of riding the course, you started to get to know sort of the nuances. I mean, things like manhole covers and white lines. I mean, I look at these guys going over the mountain and and they're crossing over the white lines. It's got to be slippery, that paint.
1: Well, they um the thing about the TT is they do everything possible to make it as safe as it can be. So all the paint that's used for all the lines is, you know, uh, Grip paint, or whatever you want to call it, they have uh, like yeah, sort of motor or something. Yeah, it's very abrasive, so you don't got to worry about that. I mean, the manhole covers they can only do what you can do, and there's certain parts of the court on the, on the street or the track, whatever you want to call it, where it's bumpy on this side, there's a bump here, and so I mean, that's half the game. You know, the guys who um, who know where the that's you know it, the more you know where to be, why is that guy over there? Then you realize, oh, because it's smooth, or because you know. The dip in the street is not as high on the side in the middle, so if you go over that, you won't. Or you know, you ride the rear brake here to try to keep the front end down, or, or all kinds of different stuff like that. Right. You can use the bus stop, schoolhouse when you're coming into Ramsey. The last corner, there's a school there, and then the road goes and it goes like this for a bus stop, right? So you right. can go all the way out into the bus stop and get back on this onto the street before you hit the curb. You know but at first you you're just you're just you know just trying to stay hey,
0: did did you find like the other competitors like sort of helpful with you i mean some of the really fast guys would would you ever talk to them and they'd give you a few pointers or
1: sure i mean um like any any anything you know racing there's certain people you can go talk to like i said colin gable you know he said oh you gotta loosen it up here and then you know somebody else would say oh that section you gotta do this and that and look for the little window And that's your turn in point or something. And uh, for a window uh, in the house. Yeah. Something like that, you know, or aim for that. And then, um, you know, you'll be good through that section. That's where you want to start your turn. It could be anything. There's a lot of tricks that the guys who've been there before you. And then if somebody was to ask me, you know, I would have my own spots, right? Say, Oh, you know, look for this or, or you got to watch for that and things like that.
0: Was there like a, a scariest section for you? I mean, I went in 2008 and uh, I remember I was standing down Bray Hill sort of at the start and watching those guys come down and crest over this thing, front wheel in the air. And yeah, Guy a jump. Martin, yeah it's a jump. And Guy Martin later told me, oh, I was tapped out in sixth gear. You know, I mean, tapped out in sixth gear on a superbike, That's 190 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you start you leaned o- oh leaned over in a jump. By the
1: yeah, way, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you start the first lap, and so you know you're building. up, You might get in the tall, high, tallest gear by then. I don't know how far down the road it is, but when you're doing a flying lap, you no, know, you've come through. So you're already in top gear, going as fast as you can by the start to finish, and then you got to go down to that. And you think, okay, here it comes, you know. But then at the bottom of the hill. I remember one time on my six hundred Honda, I brought there I th- the, probably the best race I had. I got I finished tenth in the supersport race there. I thought for sure I was going to break the shock as the bottom of the hill. The thing would just go <laughs> compress, and then there's then then there's the big wheelie hump that they always show on TV, you know. But the bottom of Bray Hill, the first Bray Hill, then then you go all the way down. You go to the second part where you got to make the sharp right hand turn right but there. Your bike compresses so hard. And stuff there it's wow. um, yeah i mean but there's the whole course is is there's places like that all around the island where there's uh um was, know, there,
0: was there was there any particular section that you really didn't like that just scared the shit out of you yeah um i'm trying to think that you
1: know you go down a, a cronky body straight and then you get to um baguero so you and it's all bumpy and the road's cambered and screwed up and in the top of a baguero you go off that and you go down at the very bottom it goes down and does this little like that and up again so it bottoms out again and i've never liked that section and you know of course you just have to close your eyes and just pin it and uh i got a speed wobble there one time and a buddy of mine was behind i think i just passed him or something and i, I did the compress and it started wobbling and then i let off and it started to go away. Then I got back on and it came back. So it took a while to get that speed wobble out. <laughs> but that, that spot, I never, I never enjoyed that because, you know, I really didn't know what was going to happen. And other guys would, you know, oh, I love that. You know, let me just slam it in there. And when you got it right, it would be great. It's, it's, yeah, it was one of the places I didn't look forward to as much as
0: other spots, put it that way. I mean, did you ever have a problem with just the fear of doing it? I mean, did this, you know, Jesus, this is really scary. Maybe I won't do it this year or.
1: No, no. I mean, you know, you get to a certain point. I realized about five times in or something. I mean, you're riding around looking, well, if I go off the course here, I can get through the trees and land in the field. So you think, what kind of crazy thinking is that? You know, that's survival mode, right? Or maybe I can, you know, if I go off here, I'll fly over the wall and go down the hill and land on the grass or who knows what. I got to a point where you have to, you just have to be okay with the outcome. And if, if that means, you know, you, know, you saw, I'm okay with dying. You know, if, if, if you're not, you know, you're riding around it's always that in the back of your head and whether you ride it at 80 percent 90 percent some guys ride at 90 some guys ride at 100 not very many most guys most of the fast guys would tell they ride it 90 95 percent maybe depends you know and uh, really so they are not riding at 100 percent i remember one year when i rode a sanya Honda, britain by jim moody was the the guy and um and uh yeah it was it was one of those ones where it's half you know it, it rained sort of so it was sort of wet here and there and he said um, you know i said oh i'm ride about 80 95 99 percent because it's just not worth it you know you know what are you gonna get out of you know i mean great you might win the tt but again at the same time you well, know yeah
0: but but the guy the guys like the john McGuinnesses and. The, You know, the Hickmans and the Hutchinsons, you know, these guys, multiple, multiple winners, you know, they, so they're not riding at a hundred percent? I think at times they
1: are, but I think also at times, you know, you have to treat it with more respect, I guess, how I put it. It's, you know, it's 38 miles. It's not a four mile or three mile lap. Right. And one race is six laps, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's two two full tanks, well three full tanks of gas. So um, I think in that respect, depending on how you feel and what's going on that day, like in most racing, you know, some days your bike's not working right or you don't feel it. You might as "Well, I'll take third or fifth, to get some points, and we we'll go to the next round." So I think it is sometimes, you know, guys would ride it a little bit less. Other people they're a little more crazier than, than the rest of us or whatever, or, or maybe they know something we don't. So, but I've heard that, you know, over the years from several different people, someone ride it anywhere between 90 to hundred percent, you know, I'm not, I mean, I don't know what McGinnis or Hickman, I mean, Hickman must've been riding it hundred percent when he, you know, when he, you know, he had to come to stop it. I remember the lap. I wasn't there, but I read about it. He did a, a you know, 135 lap. I think he overshot, and he you know I backed his bike up, still went around, did 135 mile an hour lap, so he must have been on the edge. I mean, I don't know you'd have to ask him, but but I'm I mean I, the, the, like I said, the time I thought the shock was going to break, I was probably right there as fast as I could go, 100 percent, at least what I had. You know, been at times I've been like, you know, maybe not today, I'm going to be, you know, in a beer
0: garden, have my beer, you know, yelling at somebody else about, oh, this, that, and did you see that? And Do you get to relax at all on the long straights? I mean, I know it's really sustained high speed, but do you get to, is that a chance to sort of rest a little bit, just relax a little bit?
1: Yeah, once you get used to it, and once you get, um, I like to use the term velocitized. <laughs> where you, where you, you know then you say okay there shouldn't be anything in the way here it's a long straight other than you know trying to you got to look every now and then as much as much as you can you know trying to keep your head below the windscreen it, i always found difficult because you know you're looking through it but how much do you really trust it and you always want to go oh, all right oh, all right you know and a lot of times when you do that you don't realize that you're you know you're back a little bit but there's definitely places where you can rest or, you know, you can not be, uh, I don't know, as, as freaked out, or I don't know what the word would be, because there's not much going on, you know, oh for the next, I mean, literally the mountain, once you get to a certain point, it's flat out, probably for 20 seconds or something, some crazy amount of time. And, you okay. know, that's when you, that's when I always rub the tank and thank my motor builder. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> if it's going to blow up, it's going to blow up there. Yeah, that's that's uh that's amazing absolutely amazing so do, do you ever did you ever have any real sort of fear factor with it like sure i mean you know you'd be you know there's
1: definitely times well like i said when i got it wrong down in laurel banks and and almost hit clipped the wall um i thought oh, oh, oh man you know and uh other times uh, some animal ran across the you know course or something or you know,
0: you mean like a like a rabbit or something? Yeah, something
1: like that. Yeah. Or you got you know when I got that going over that hump wrong, then that's why that corner. I mean, those few corners, a few sections of the of the course are they always stick in the back of at least in my mind of, of places where you know I know I can do this. It's great and all, but I still you know and and um, I still think about it but you got to respect it i mean i I think that's the one thing about that place is you know if you go there people have gone there thinking oh yeah you know i can you know it's just another oh yeah just that you know and and, uh, say great but it ain't like no other street race or you know sunday morning ride i mean it is but it's not it's a full-blown crazy race and when you're out there which is the beauty of it I mean, you know, if you're just slacking a little bit, not paying attention, next thing you know, man, I just missed the curve there by an inch. I better, you know, make sure I'm on top of it. Wow. Yeah. So there's, and like anything with any, any, you know, track or street riding, you know, all of a sudden, oh man, I just missed that car, just missed me or something, you know. Usually you get caught out when you're not paying attention.
0: Did you prefer it when you were riding, you know, with somebody in close proximity, maybe following somebody or chasing somebody, or did you prefer it when you were just on your own and and just doing your thing?
1: Um, you know, if, if it's somebody who comes by you, you think, okay, I'll follow this guy, see what he's doing. And sometimes you pick it up. Sometimes, you know, it's fun to be by yourself too, because you don't have to worry about anybody around you. I mean, when you catch up to people, that was always, uh, you know, how you got by him. Like, you know, like everything else. If you get by the lappers quick, you get on. If you don't and you hesitate, you know, then, then, you know, you can almost set yourself up to continue to do that where you, Oh, Oh, oh or I should have just made the move, you know, five corners back. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it's fun. You go back and forth with guys over the mountain, you know, and then they might clear off into town and then you might catch them back on the mountain or vice versa. Some guys are faster here or there, you know, so, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good when you're chasing somebody, then you, then you have a, a, like a gauge. So if it's somebody faster than you, you know, that's good. If it's not, and but it's also a, a gauge too. You know, I think, well, I got to catch that guy and pass that guy, but, you know, riding alone is always, it's fun also.
0: Is it, is it sort of physically more demanding than, you know, a short circuit race, you know, just like a sort of a standard Moto America, Superbike race. I mean, these, those are hard work. I mean, it's, riding a bike fast is hard yeah it's most races would be a whole tank of gas
1: ama races 600s superbike you'd have to have a bigger tank or you know you'd have to i mean it would be a full tank of gas except for daytona which is three tanks of gas the 200 and so um the tt all the races are either two tanks of gas or three tanks of gas so uh, it's and it's it's physically demanding but also mentally. You know, because it's so long and what I, you know, millions of years ago, I can't remember, somebody said to me, you know, your eyes use up like 25% of your energy in your body or something crazy. I don't know what this statistic is, but they use a lot of energy. You can, you know, what you take in and how you compute it all and how you make it work. And so there you're constantly going for so long, like an endurance race, you know, but endurance race, you're going to get off the thing after an hour or so. And then the next guy's going to ride, you're going to go break. So there, usually the races are, You know, probably an hour. And, you know, if you're fast, it's less time, but but it's definitely physically demanding. And um, the year I rode the electric bike, the Alpine Star guys came and uh, they set up, put all these monitors in the race suit to see, um, you know, all all the G forces and everything. And I thought, and they said, well, we wanted to see an electric bike if it's any different. And at the time, I thought, all right, you know, because they would do it with a Moto2 guy. They would do it with this super world superbike guy, or they would do it with you know all kinds of different disciplines. And then, of course, a couple of years later, they start having the airbag suits, right? All that, which all that stuff, and they they put a computer in the back of the hump and had all these sensors in the in the suit. And I thought, well, electric bikers, you know, you're not going 85 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour. It's not as extreme as going a you know 180, then back down to 20, then back up to 150. Right. so nevertheless that was one of the things so they could measure all the force and there's a there's a yeah it, there's a fair bit of of physical abuse you take that you don't realize until after the fact and then uh, you know three hours later afterwards you still can't i mean i can't hear it anyway but you really can't hear you hear this constant ringing or whatever it is or just the just from just from the wind noise i guess yeah the wind and bike noise too you know because it's i mean there's nowhere else you're that flat out that long continuously yeah you know it's <laughs> like i said you know if your bike's gonna blow up it's gonna be there <laughs> And many have
0: <laughs> so i so i take it you've never actually crashed at the element
1: I, I crashed at uh it was a friday morning i remember practice last practice 600 and uh, there was a flag up I forget what it was a quarter bridge. Maybe that's what it is. There's it's, you know, it's shortly after the bottom, very bottom of Bray Hill, you turn right and you go down. Then there's a left and a right and there's a church on the right. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people sit up in a church. I think there's a graveyard right there. And, there. and so I went through the left and I went into the right and then just lost the front and slid right into the wall there, luckily, but I, you're not going super fast. So I didn't get hurt, but it bent the forks on the bike. And so um, I had to, the guys brought some forks over from England the mainland as they call it. And I put it on, put it all together and there's no warm up lap. There's no, you know, you just start the race because there's no more practice for the 600s. (laughs) Yeah. So I like I went and rode it up the mountain back way as best I could on public roads, you know, without, you know, trying to get away with it. Usually you could, you know, sometimes the cops won't house you about that, but then you just start the race. (laughs) I hope (laughs) you got it right. Yeah. So that time I crashed. I, I mean, I was happy to do that. Because, you know, at least I got that out of the way, with not
0: not a serious crash. I guess. And you were lucky not to sort of hit something. I mean, you don't want to hit a curb or...
1: Yeah, or a hay bale that's around the telephone pole or who knows what, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, everybody that jokes, you get a new pair of leathers, you better go out and, and you know, roll around in the ground and screw them up because... Right. You can crash and screw them up or who knows, you know? Uh, I've been um, very fortunate there. And... You know, sometimes, like I said, you know, well, at the end of the day, do you want to, uh you know, you want to be in the beer tent afterwards talking to your friends about it or all? You know, is it worth that move? Or, you know, maybe you'll get, you know, two more positions, go, you know, two miles an hour faster. You know, some days it's definitely worth it. Some days it's not, you know, so you got to, you got to take all that into consideration. and It depends, you know, what you got to live for and what you don't, I guess.
0: That's true. So did you do any sort of special preparation or anything? I mean, like before the race, do you sort of meditate? Guy Martin told me that he listens to thrash metal before he goes out.
1: (laughs) No, I usually, you know, to me, it really doesn't start till you get in the second gear off the line, you know. But uh, no, I've always been my normal routine, you know, kidding around, joking with people, you know, almost trying to avoid it inevitable (laughs) i guess reality (laughs) yeah where you know i mean other people yeah they get real all of a sudden they can't talk to them and they're real focused or are they who knows what they're thinking or some people like use music and that i can understand that but i mean they're all your bikes in the park ferme and then you roll them up onto the the road and you basically you're waiting to go So you could be BSing with a guy in front of you and then your crew guys are there pushing your bike for you or something, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, I enjoy that part of it because, you know, everybody's doing the same thing. And, um, you know, some people really, Oh, Hey man. Yeah. This, that, all right. Good luck. You know, this, that, and other people, you know, you think, I don't want to talk to that guy because I don't know, you know, he's, he's, or do you think what the hell is guy martin listening to i can almost hear is that you know is, what, what, what flash metal is that you know like that and or you might be talking to your guys about you know pit stop strategy or who knows what but yeah I, I don't really do any of that kind of stuff any kind of racing really you know in the club racing and and uh, when i race the ama stuff you know i always i always have a good time right up to the start <laughs> <laughs> Try <Tried> to anyway. <laughs> then I'll go south. <laughs> as well as doing the race and that experience, the the people I met, you know, relationships, and uh, all the adventures that go along with going to the island and you know oh, the bike, you know the, the, the shipper screw. I mean, it's all the different crazy stuff where you could you couldn't possibly think of it all. You know, well, there's a shit ton of bikers here bike shops here. Oh, no, but that dude, he's out in the middle over here, this, there, that way. He might be able to weld it up for you, you know, or or uh, you got to go see this guy over there, you know, or when, at the time I went on a Honda 600 uh, a F2, I think it was 93 or something. Needed a rear sprocket. I think it was between a 42 and a 43. I don't know. We wanted to try a 42, so somebody said, oh, well, you know, uh, Joey Dunlop's guys, they might have one. Where are they at? down by the key which is you know down in douglas and around back in this old warehouse or something that's where they keep all their stuff you know so we went and found it you know and walked in there and and you know found one of the mechanic guys and i think joey was there working on his bike or maybe he wasn't i don't know but you can see the bikes were there and stuff and they sort of looked at me like you know well, what do you need a 42 tooth rear sprocket for next you know how did you, how did you come to that and um I said, oh, you know, all I got is a 43 and I seem to be running out of gearing. It's kind of like Daytona, you know, if it's windy, you want the 43. If it's not, you want the 42, stuff like that. So, okay. anyway, they lent me a sprocket because they had a bunch. And, um, but yeah, I had to go, you know, you have to travel. You're not just going to go walk down the next guy over racing the same bike. Say, hey, you know, because everybody then was all over the island. There wasn't as many people in the paddock. Now They've, they've, it's much more everybody's. And they made it a point to have all the teams and everything in the paddock in a much more professional, um, big, you know, pro event where back when I first started, it was still, there were some big teams, but, you know, they might, you know, come up in vans in the paddock and there might be a couple of semis maybe, but now it's all, you know, like any other big factory road race. Kind of, you know, it was kind of funner in the old way you know where it was more uh, as a friend of mine would say you know it's like a gypsy caravan you know there's 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 the there's the front runners and then there's all the clowns who make up the grid you know, who paid for everything all the guys who you know pay the entries and and you know buy the tires and buy the gas and buy all that and they're not factory sponsored and, all
0: that, and that's all of us privateers so you only you only ever rode as a privateer then you
1: yeah i mean i i rode uh, uh I mean, I had people's bikes I rode a few times, but not not in not factories. And then I rode this Samuel Honda Britton. It was Honda's 50th anniversary or something. And um, some guys I know here knew some people at Honda and they ranged a 600 through that team, which they had Jim Moody and they had a, a Japanese guy, Juan Mieta. I think it was his first time over or something in race. And so, uh, and they were, where are they at? you know, way out somewhere, Boone's had to drive this, that, some somebody's old farm, whatever. And then there's a big old shop. And that's where all the bikes were. And that's where they worked them all. And then they would put them in vans and take them down the paddock. So if you wanted to go change anything or do anything, you had to go find that. But so I rode that bike. And then um, a guy I met, he had Mark's bloom racing and he, he actually sponsored Dan Keene. I think he got, yeah, he got killed a couple years ago, unfortunately. He, and he's the local Isleman guy, but, but sort of, I think when we started sponsoring him or something i rode a 600 he had that another guy johnny barton was going to ride but he had injured his arm or something and so and i rode a couple of his bikes at times but yeah mostly we always brought i mean probably 95 percent of the time i brought we brought our own bikes which was right. whole
0: another fiasco in and of itself <laughs> you know customs dealing with it and I heard I heard that the ferry journey from you know Liverpool across to the Isle of Man, that is an absolute nightmare as well.
1: Well, one year we went to um, a friend of mine was over in England. He was getting married, and so we went to the wedding, and then we went to uh, Batley, I think it is. So Clive and the whole team they had all their stuff, and then Clive's brother had a has a you know a Kawasaki shop down the street. You know, Clive they got it. so they got everything, and Alan had a, a Kawasaki six hundred you can ride that all right great so we put that in a van i mean borrowed from clive and of course Clive was like well yeah you know you got to take this you got to take this you got to take this you got to take that yeah 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 and so we drove the van to Haysham and um took the ferry over and then we waited uh you know we went uh standby so we got there about about one in the morning tried to catch the two o'clock ferry or whatever it was or something we couldn't get on so my buddy I was with goes, oh, hey, man, should we go get a hotel? And I said, no, dude, we're at the front of the line. We're going to go in the ferry terminal, sleep on the chairs. And at 7 or 8, 9 in the morning, the next ferry, please, we'll get on. Because, you know, you could get on standby. And we took the ferry over, and it, it was a full-blown party. <laughs> you know, lucky the seas weren't too crazy. But it could get pretty hairy. But everybody going, you know, I mean, the, that's the one thing about the TT is there's everybody there old, young, everything, it's real, everybody knows about it. Right. And it's real great. It, like if you go to any big race where there's big crowds, you get the energy. And if you're racing around where there's, you know, 80,000 people lining the track, you know, you, you, you just, oh my, this is great. You know, like <laughs> you know, when you go to a national, if there's 20,000 people or whatever, however many, and you go to a club race, you know, there's, there's your friends and there's a few people. Right. It's not, you know, it's still fun, but it, but the energy, so that yeah, continue. the energy of the big crowd, yeah. yeah. But it, sure, that the ferry could be hairball. But I mean, I've done it, taken it a few times. But mostly flying there is just as equally as crazy too, because these
0: small little turbo props and they move around a lot. Yeah. yeah. So did uh, did you ever get any sort of you know bad weather events or anything where you're kind of where you just thought. You know, I'm I'm not gonna head out today. I'm you know, this is this is not gonna work for me. Sure. I mean there
1: was plenty of practice. They used to more in the old, you know, earlier on when I was doing it, rain and stuff and uh yeah, or there's fog on a mountain and the thing, you know, if it's full on raining, then they, okay, I know it's wet. But if it rained and there's wet spots, damp patches that they'd say on a little chalkboard when you're re- reeling your bike up to start practice or whatever it is, damp patch at, you know, miles marker nine or 10 or whatever. And you think, where is that? Oh yeah. Right. That's when it's scariest. Cause you don't know. I mean, that's when I crashed, there was a, there was a, you know, it was still damp there. One, one race, I think it was a senior and I was riding a 600 and it started raining and um, you know, a lot of the factory guys were on slicks and we had our, our, you know, our treaded super sport tires then. You know, they started just going backwards stuff. And eventually so much so they stopped the race. And you were like,
0: damn it, I was doing pretty well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I you know, damn, it, I might have you know, yeah, exactly. I did not want it. <laughs> so then when they when they throw the red flag and stop the race, well, if you're a mile down the road, that's great. But if you're 20 miles out, that means you got to ride back 20 miles, you know, at reasonable speeds. So you got time to start thinking about how cold it really is, and how soaked your hands are, and you start to freeze, and you think this is miserable. <laughs> you know, I'd much better be just sitting there, you know, thinking, "Oh my God, I could crash here." And this at least you won't be thinking about the cold. I, I vividly remember that, thinking this is a
0: drag. So, did you do anything special to the to the bikes? I mean, specifically for the TT. I mean, did you have to have like a, maybe a taller windshield? I mean, obviously gearing you have to take into account, but did you, did you do anything to the brakes or?
1: You no know, just just the gearing and yeah you could get the taller windshield windscreen or they had also you could buy a little one that, that you could you know screw onto your actual windscreen but i mean my biggest thing and it still is if i'm going to go to a race is you know you get your bike as prepared as possible you don't have so you can concentrate on on what's going on in the race you don't have to deal with running around trying to worry about this and that i mean and stuff breaks and then you have to deal with it right it takes, you know, it, it increases the stress level, takes away from the fun. The more prepared you can be, the better off you'll be. So, uh, but but as far as the bike setup and then that, they're pretty much basically the same. Except, like I said, he, you know, he the person that told me, I'll loosen it up here. So, and you know, the other thing is, you would go there and ride around and mess with the suspension and do all this, and then once the week of practice is done, you'd pretty much end up back where you started you know, felt crazy at first, but then once you got settled in and, and the speeds picked up and, and all that, you realized I just went in the complete circle, you know, and went back the bike setup, I showed up with, which seemed to work pretty good on the circuit racing. I do said, you know, maybe I backed a couple of turns of preload off either end, took some compression out a little bit. And other than that, it was, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty much the same. So, but yeah, bike setup, the most cru- crucial thing is, you know, just make sure it's going to hold together. But, you know, I mean, the, the, the TT, the race, but just the whole event is a real, well, you know, you went there, right? And I always tell people that's great. But, you know, the whole event is, is a, something that's special in and of itself, you know, the, the, the fans, the community, the, the whole island, islands. I mean, I've been there after the race where it's completely dead, you know, so by the race is on Friday, the last race, by Saturday, by Sunday, it's pretty much everybody's gone. You know, I've been there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, hanging out, whatever my friends are doing. Who knows what we were doing? <laughs> and uh, it's kind of cool, you know, because it's, it's a nice little aisle with, without all the crazy traffic and constant. After a while, you're like, OK, I can't take it anymore.
0: So do you think you've got any more TTs in you? You think you're going to do it ever again? Uh, I would probably do
1: it. There's still, you know, I still look every now and then results and see a few guys that I used to race with. who were still out there doing it, you know. But, uh, it would be fun to do it, but I I more so maybe go do the classic just to go back to the Island and hang out and do everything, you know, and do the race, but to, you know, to see the people and see the course again and ride around and, you know, and then, you know, Hey, I don't have to win the race. You know, who cares? Even though when you go out there, you're going to try to, but you know, yeah, have some fun more or less. I would like to do that for sure
0: have you ever lost anyone to the TT that you, I mean, obviously different people die, you know, every, every year, but has anyone ever close to you, you know, gone that you really.
1: No, only, um, I mean, the guy Colin Gable, he, he had a, you know, terrible crash. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know him that well, but I would talk to him a bunch, you know, I used to talk to his lot. You know, and he you'd see him at you know at a gas station or something, and say, "Oh, this that." and that. But of course, he didn't crash the TT. He he got killed in a helicopter accident or something. Apparently, and uh a few other people, but the Japanese guy, unfortunately, he got killed one year. I mean, that's the crazy thing of it. You know, there's yeah, nobody. I was I I only knew from the TT really, and you know. Like when you go any race, you go see, oh, I'm not going to see that guy until I go back east and race. And then you see all the same people. Oh, hey, what's going on? You know, then you go about your business, you know, then you read about them or they might read about you. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, 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 the downside of it all.
0: You know, what, you know, what, I mean, I, I've never ridden the TT, but for as many I've been a lifelong motorcycle guy, you know, and it's as many people and friends that I've lost to motorcycles, I've lost far more to, you know, weirdo diseases or, you know, heart attacks or strange cancers that hit them when they, are young. you know, so, uh, you know, I sit here as an old guy, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know what, motorcycles, sure, it's more dangerous doing motorcycles than it isn't. But at the end of the day, just living is dangerous, you know, so some something's going to get you. So you might as well go out and have fun and do what you like.
1: Yeah, for sure one of the things we would talk about or people thought that was the amount of miles that were covered by all the racers over the two week time of practice and races, you know, let's say you have 80 guys who each rode 500 miles, you know, for the whole duration of the TT. So that's X amount of miles covered and percentage wise motorcycling, um, you know, cars, everything. Well, in car racing, if they covered that many miles, how many people have passed away? Right. You know, and then there's then there's always you know the mad Sunday and the people who just mm-hmm. ended up on the public roads who you know and, and I mean the government, you know, the mainland government would always you know it's dangerous, it's too dangerous. We got to shut down. You know, and and the, but the TT, you know, the one thing always stuck in my head is when you go to the riders briefing, you know, and you've been warned. <laughs> You know, there's a, you know, new pavement over here and you've been warned or we change the course right here and you've been warned. So, you know, you've been warned. That's all you need to know. You can't come back and say, I didn't know. No, we told you. Well, even if you told me, I'm still going to sue you. No, you've been warned. That's it. Now go away. You know, so and I remember one time they would say, oh, the bold ore in Paul Ricard, that crazy. Road. I went there one time to watch a GP and there's a big, crazy road that goes up the mountains to Paul Ricard racetrack. And it's a notorious badass road. I think that's where. Uh, yeah, brilliant. he crashed his streetcar there, didn't he? Just a, a road car. Yeah, because everybody bombs that, you know, all the motorcycles. So one weekend of a bull door, about 10, 11 spectators would get killed on that road, which is horrible, give, it, give or take. Sometimes maybe six. And on the, on the TT, two weeks, sometimes it would be four, sometimes it would be eight, you know, head ons, drove off the road. You know all kinds of different crazy things, and like you say, it's motorcycle. You know, is it more dangerous than walking down the street or eating junk food every day, or or you know whatever might set off cancer or who knows what? It's it's all relevant, I guess. You know, it's, it's sooner or later, it's something's going to get you. So
0: yeah, yeah. And Nowadays, you, you might know. just get COVID and die. So you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope not. But yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. I could have went rode the TT. Instead, I ended up in a hospital with COVID. Right. How would I have known to make that choice? Right,
0: exactly. Exactly.
1: So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta live. You gotta live. You only have so many goes, as we say. Yeah. You gotta know where to use them and how to use them. Yeah. I don't want to use them all up in one place. Yeah.
0: Well, good for you, man. I really admire just the fact that you just did it and and continue to do it and had such a great attitude. That's just awesome. That is Absolutely amazing! What an amazing life experience. So thank you so much for for talking to me about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's like I said, it's it, it, the race and everything else about it is really, uh, at least for me, it was very enjoyable and all the experiences. And of course, there's plenty of bad experience too, but that goes with anything. But yeah, I, it out well, you know the good way outweighs the bad, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a I, you know I'd probably do it again. That's how crazy I am. <laughs> Thank <laughs>